Shannon, where are we? We are at the cutest railroad adjacent Shirley Temple inspired community theater anywhere near Louisville. And Alyssa, why are we here? <laughs> um, we're here because I feel like both of us kind of dabbled in professional theater for the first time here, or being professionals in a theater. Right. Still a community theater. Um, and this very adorable building is where we uh, kind of continue to come back to, to make things. It's a very safe space, it feels like. It's like yeah. coming back to like a comfort zone. Yeah, it's like, um, you're not going to do anything crazy here, but um, the people are very receptive and excited to see you, and um, if you want to try something, yes, you know, with a little um, sweet talking and punch, they're like into it. And they'll listen to your crazy idea before they'll tell you no, which Absolutely. is great. <laughs> yes. So during the summer, this particular cute theater does a uh, youth show mm -hmm. because, I didn't know this until recently, they started doing the youth show because there was, wait for it. They started doing the youth show because there was no AC in the summers. So oh. it was too hot, and none <laughs> of the adult. adults wanted to do shows, and so some college kids came and asked, hey, can we come do a show since no one's in here during the summer? Sure. And they were like, yeah, totally, because no one wants to be in here because it's hot. Thankfully, any... now there's AC, so <laughs> that's good. Do you have any idea when that was? I have no idea. That was just what I was told. The first one I can like remember, I was not in it. What's the first one you remember? The first one I remember was Little Women, summer yeah. 2010, because, like, people from high school were in it. Right. But I was not. I don't remember it being super hot. I don't know. We were also, like, 15, so... I was so. going to say, I also don't remember a lot of things, so... If there was no AC in there, I'd need to give that show more credit, because that was a lot of hoop skirts. So many There was, skirts. like, five women in hoop skirts up on that teeny tiny stage. It was and incredible. <laughs> most of Little Women is in the winter. Yeah. So, like, Oh, they coats. were all in layers. It was and amazing. Layers. Long sleeve shirts. Yeah. Um, I loved Little Women the movie, just to talk about it for a second. The most recent one. I thought it was yeah. so good. I still haven't seen it. You should absolutely I, see I it. But, um... I have never loved a production of Little Women I have seen. I also have not, I don't think. I, and that's the one that we just saw recently, I think was probably the fourth one that I've seen. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've seen a handful as well. I, I would have to like really think about the number, but I don't know that I've ever seen a great one. Not because of the acting exactly. I just think adaptations are hard. And it's, it's not... It lends itself a lot more to screen. There's a lot of locations. So it's, many locations. If you, and if you skip the locations, then you wind up just with a bunch of people sitting in a room talking about things that just happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
ah uh, yes, we're home from the party. And this is what <laughs> happened at the party. Ah uh, yes, we're home from Paris. This is what happened in Paris while we were gone. And I also think the girl's age, and it's weird when you cast two different actresses, especially a lot of people do that with Amy because she's so young in the first act, and they want to show her as like young and immature and all the great things that Amy is, but then in the second act, she has to get married to Lori. Yeah. Not to, like, spoiler alert, a hundred-year-old novel for anyone. <laughs> I mean, let's think of mo most of them. They've all covered the same amount of time. You just do a lot more changing between 12 and 18. Exactly. Than you do between, like, 15 and 20. At least, definitely during that time period. Yeah, By 15, sure. you're a grown adult. Yes. Why aren't you married yet? <laughs> Joe, we're looking at you. So I just think that, like... I don't know, it's difficult to show that age progression. Anne of Green Gables has a similar uh, issue. But I also think it's it's location. And and I think anytime you take something that's so beloved by people and try to, like, adapt it, you're just going to run into issues. There's a lot of expectations with it. You've done that, though. I have. And I was supposed to direct it here this summer as a youth show. I know. So, um, what issues do you feel like you ran into when you were adapting a Jane Austen novel? Well, one of the adaptation issues was my own darn fault, because mm -hmm. it should have taken a lot longer to write, except I didn't have a lot longer to write it. So You were, um, like, in school when you were writing that, right? Um, yes, yes. Um, but it was, it was Christmas break. It wrote it over one week that was Christmas break. Oh. Um, yeah, but, you know, it helps when you really, really know a thing, and then you're like, oh, yeah, I can do this. And then you go back and reread the book, and you're like, wow, there's a lot of things I forgot about. Yes. Um, <laughs> like, mostly male characters. Good grief. Yeah. So many men. I think, here's the thing. There are only four men. One could potentially... Yeah, four. I'm going to argue that there are only four men that change the plot of Pride and Prejudice. Okay. So it's Bingley... Okay. Darcy, duh. Collins. And Wickham. Right? The, like, soldier That's guy? The, yeah. So, I don't really feel like the dad changes the plot that much. I mean, he's there, and he's encouraging He has his big, his, his only moment is when he, he's got the, the line about, uh, you must be a stranger to one of your parents. Your mother won't see you ever again. If if you don't marry Collins, and I will never see you again if you do. It's, it's like his very, one big support moment. It's a very heroic supporting moment, but I feel like Lizzie was going to do Lizzie. That's true. She didn't necessarily need her dad to say that. I think it helps, and it certainly endears us to the dad, who's a great character. I'm just arguing that he doesn't really affect the plot much. So really, he should just be an offstage voice, is what you're saying. Like, he can just, like, yell <laughs> from the dead. library. <laughs> <laughs> he can just call from offstage. It's mm -hmm. like, he just lives in the library. We never see the library. Yes. I like Him that. and um, Mary. Mr. Bennett! Mr. Bennett! Don't come in here, I'm reading. I really enjoy that. I've never really given it a lot of thought before this <laughs> very second. But yes, it's what I should have had planned all along for my directing of this show. So yeah, I just feel like there's 
there's all these superfluous dudes who are like, <laughs> and they're mad, <laughs> who are like throwing a party, being an uncle, talking about the land. Yes. And they're 5,000 a year. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, which I guess is like really important British man talk. I, I don't really know. And gossiping. Yeah. Everyone gossiping all the time. I mean, that's Jane Austen. Yes. And it's funny because you, I don't know, gossiping has like a inherently female connotation, I feel like. But in every Jane Austen novel, the men are going at it just as hard as the women. Definitely. They're just pretending not to. Like, yeah. oh, I'm not interested. But then they're going to listen. They're they, absolutely they interested. This information. There's not a whole lot else to do. Yeah. And I feel like if I'm writing Pride and Prejudice today, not that I could do it. No offense to Jane Austen. <laughs> but I'm killing Wickham off. Like, mm. I don't understand. I think it's so vague what's going on there. And then also, like, this is the only way that Lizzie can see how Darcy is actually a good guy is by directly comparing him to someone who sucks. On the flip side, you don't get that from Darcy for Lizzie. Like, he comes to that realization by spending time with her, by, like, hearing what she has to say, which is awesome. I mean, I don't know where you could, like, pinpoint that this is the fall in love moment for Darcy, but clearly he comes to it before she does. Yeah, but I don't think it counts the first time. I'm of the opinion that the first proposal does not count at all. Because, like, the most selfish piece of literature ever. That's fair. So, I don't know if that was love yet. What would you call it? I, I mean, I just don't think that... It was, like, if, interest? If love is an action, uh-huh. then there was no display of love until... He first chooses to tell her stuff about himself, mm. which he doesn't tell other people. True. And that is very, that, that hurts his character, if anyone else found out. Mm-hmm. And then doing something that hurts his character, if anyone else found out, specifically for her. Yeah, for her and her family. If anyone can't tell yet, I like the book, someone else here doesn't. Okay, first of all, (laughs) I do like the book. I like the book. I I have not ever seen on stage a great adaptation of this. I've seen plenty of not great ones. And I've never watched a film version of this that I have been drawn to watch again. Hmm. Like... I watched the Keira Knightley version. Yeah. I watched the old BBC version. Yeah. Wait, the old, old one or just the old one? That could Colin just Firth? Be old one. Yeah, Colin don't Firth. watch the old, old one. There's only like <laughs> one good character in it, and I think it's Mrs. Bennett. Oh. See, I like Mrs. Bennett. I think she's misunderstood. She's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I just mean like, I have a. <clears throat> I have a list of all of the best ones from each version because I've seen all of them at least twice. 
Just like a, yeah. an Excel the only, spreadsheet or like it's it's in my head, but I could okay. make one for sure for sure. Um, I'm pretty sure Bingley is one of the few ones that's best in the Karen Eiley version. I like Bingley. He's sweet. Um, okay. I do have some complaints about the book. Yes. Just because I feel like it got so close to being like this really lovely early feminist piece of literature. And when you look at it through a 21st century lens, obviously it's not. But in an 1800s lens, it clearly is. So I'm not trying to discount right. that. But I think it had all of these markings of like such a progressive person. And I just wonder if it got watered down a little bit in like the selling of the book because I mean just this line that you just recited that I probably can't I will butcher if I try to do again that Mr. Bennett says to Elizabeth like she was about to marry into so much money dads weren't going around saying that to people right but it's his only thing like he never has another thing and then like there's very little competition between the sisters except for the younger ones which I enjoy that they're like not fighting each other over guys because I hate that yeah in a story I think the Wickham thing is super annoying maybe it's because we don't learn enough about which one is it Kitty Lydia we don't learn a lot about either yeah the, the youngest two yeah it's Lydia yeah I just feel like we don't we don't know her but my biggest problem. Wait for it. And this probably has more to do. My biggest problem, and this probably has more to do with the adaptations that I've seen more than the actual book, is that Bingley and Darcy are presented as best friends, but they have no chemistry. Like, you would not buy those two bros as friends at all. Like, they don't do anything together. Like, there's not, like... I want them to have, like, banter. Like, Darcy is sullen and moody, even with Bingley. Yeah. Like, we never get to see the side of him that, like, made Bingley want to be his friend. And Bingley is great. Bingley is great. So, he's not the kind of guy that's just friends with every sullen loser. This is his sullen loser. This is my so I've picked him. This is my sullen loser, and I'm going to help him have friends. Also, I'm sorry, do you not remember his two sisters who both wanted to get with that? So maybe somebody was Wait, just Bingley pulled into that. sisters wanted to get with yeah. Darcy? Georgiana? Georgiana is Darcy's little sister. So oh, no. I got confused about the sisters. <laughs> no, there's Mrs. Hurst, who's already married, but still. Right. And, uh, no, Miss Bingley. But I feel Miss like... Caroline wants that. <laughs> Go be friends with the sullen guy. He's rich. He is. <laughs> Which is a draw, I guess. But and I that feel is like something his... that Billingley would totally do for his sister because he's sweet. He is very sweet. <laughs> but I feel like the big talk about Mr. Darcy throughout the book is not just that he's rich. Jane Austen characters always talk about the character of other people. And they talk about how he has this great upstanding character. Which we see revealed later on in the book with what he does for Lydia. But... Up until that point, he just is the guy that's like, he's just the guy that your friend's boyfriend brings along to the party because he doesn't have anywhere else to go. And he stands in a corner drinking single malt scotch 
because beer's pedestrian and like judging people he's kind of jerk yeah which is the point of the book i guess <laughs> i mean that's kind of the title but it's fine he's kind of a jerk is kind of the title he's kind of no no but uh, the fact that we all feel that way about him initially is the point of the yes, title certainly it's that this is the way he comes across and i very much understand why a lot of people see him as literally that guy at the party and like who's just gonna be right about everything and but be overly hot. intellectual and is annoying but is hot yeah yeah super annoying yeah on the flip side of that you have elizabeth who is said to have judged him too quickly even though he's been a jerk the whole time yes I do think that part of the reason that she judges him so quickly is that he, or she, has this, like, bent about not being that girl. I think we've all, or, like, any girl who's, like, perceived as, like, intelligent, nice, pretty, whatever, has gone through that feeling of, like, I need to stay in my lane and, like, not upset people by, like, correcting them. Mm. Um, I have to stay nice. I have to like be whatever. So I think there's some of that going on and then I also just think that there's some of like She is watching Her younger sisters the women around her kind of fawn after this guy and I do think that there's an Element of like I'm better than them. I Agree she wants to <laughs> In not wanting to act like she's better than everyone she just really wants to be better than her family she's watching all of this nonsense like even jane being overly sentimental or whatever and she just wants to not be all of the wild members of her family mm. while at the same time loving them very much yeah so i mean they I, refer to her mom as silly all of the time oh yes. but at the same time she's going to <laughs> reject a really crappy but impressive marriage proposal mm -hmm. because she wants to defend them is part of it. Yeah. I mean, it's not the whole thing. She can be super rude, but um, part of it is defending that that's these are my people. I mean, I get to make fun of them. Right. You don't. You, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I can make fun of my brother. You can't. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, similar to with you can't take it with you. It's like, well, this isn't going to work because y'all are much too cool for us and I like us the way that we are yeah like I don't wanna I don't wanna constantly be feeling tension of like my family's silly or like a lot because you're so reserved and orphany right I've always wanted a really good sequel where Darcy has to host all of them oh that would be cute I tried to start reading one once and it wasn't the good sequel I wanted so I quit <laughs> I think Okay, just to, like, over-identify with Elizabeth a little bit, I think that part of my reluctancy with Jane Austen or feeling, like, a reservation around it is because it's, like, girl classics. Hmm. Yep. There's... It sits on the shelf with Anne of Green Gables and all of the other mm -hmm. little women yeah, and yeah. all of the... Like yeah. Of yeah, I think there's just, like, a sense of, like, if you are a reader and you're a young woman, people are, like 
read these books. You're mm-hmm. gonna like them so much because look you're at all the gonna like them so much right. because look at all the lady characters. Right. In closing, about okay. you know the gen- wanna, general topic of Pride and Prejudice. Do you want to talk more about your adaptation? For sure. Yeah. Uh, I was just gonna say if anyone um, knows what we got wrong or any, or has any comments about Pride and Prejudice about why we're wrong about our. Oh, yeah, Interpret- love, interpretation. I would love to hear anyone's hot take about Pride and Prejudice, always. Absolutely. Because I with, think... With evidence and sources, please. Yes. I want you to be able to back it up. <laughs> I think that for me, I just feel like... conflicted about it. I think what has been frustrating is, as with most things, the lack of good adaptations. We already mm-hmm. said, Little Women's Hard to Adapt... Pride and Prejudice has similar issues for adapting. Um, lots of locations. Lots of locations. Lots and lots of characters. Um, uh, several of whom are unnecessary. Um, and I say that more in general for all the Austins, that there's a bunch of just characters. Um, yeah, I think I think that Jane Austen does a great job of world building. Mm. Like, she's so descriptive in her language of where the settings are. I mean, you'll get... Before anyone speaks in a Jane Austen book, you are getting, like, all kinds of descriptive language about where they, where you are. Mm-hmm. And I think that that applies to the characters in the town as well. Like, I think she does a great job of showing that, like, these are real people with, like, real relationships mm-hmm. who run into more than just, like, the five people that I want to talk about in this book. Yes. And they're running around living their lives, doing whatever they're doing. Right and you get to see their their day-to-day a little bit. I think that's something that I didn't... um, Talking about the world building and the description, I did not realize how much of the actual conversation we was going to have to make up. Wow. Yeah. I would imagine that's hard in any novel, but in a Jane Austen specifically with so much exposition... Lots of exposition, lots of um, image, like description of images and places and all kinds of stuff. And so you'll get an entire journey in several paragraphs, but no one has talked to each other. Mm. So, or letters. That's another big one that was weird and very hard to do anything with if you're not doing a movie because then you're just having somebody stand there reading a letter or stand there writing a letter. Either way, it's weird. Um, but if you go back and play the events, that doesn't give you the same vibe as a letter. And letter writing in that time period was just such a big deal. So writing a letter was the same as somebody sitting on a phone call in a, in a show today. Yeah. Um, that's, it was a big deal. So you lose something if you take that out, but also it could come across as very boring, somebody sitting on a stage talking through writing a letter, which also no one does. <laughs> It's interesting because I do feel like it parallels a modern problem with modern plays, which mm-hmm. is that this problem could so easily be fixed by sending a text message, but we can't explore that function. And I don't know that I've seen anyone yet show technology well on stage or show technology in a way that feels like it's not taking you out of the story I I think it's incredibly hard to do I mean this like a crazy example off of Pride and Prejudice but like the Mean Girls musical tour 
I saw, and they've updated Mean Girls from like 2005 or whenever mm-hmm. it was written, so that technology plays a more of a role in it. And they have those, I mean, they have projector screens, which are part of the set, mm-hmm. as well as part of the technological storytelling. So I think it's interesting to try to display it. And I think it's, it's something that we have to wrestle with as we continue to write plays in the 21st century. No, tech's only going get, to continue to get bigger. It's just yeah. going to keep being more and more of a thing. And it's almost like we're pretending that it's less significant than it is. Right. Like, we're writing these shows about modern people who don't use their cell phones. <laughs> almost ever. Unless they're making a phone call, which I feel like we've we've grappled with phone calls enough on stage to to do them. I think it's one of those things that is very difficult for the actor, though. Hmm. Um, Any one-sided phone conversation, that's like learning a monologue, except put in the pauses and pretend to react to what they're hearing in their ear? Mm-hmm. Okay. There was recently an... I would have to, like, really do a little bit of Googling to figure out the name of the show, but it's a one-man show where it's set in the before times. It's not modern set. (laughs) Before times. I can't think of, like, the the dates. This is, like, a very vague description. (laughs) I'll try to figure it out. Pre-modern. We'll stick it in show notes if I can remember the name. But essentially, it's, like... A one-man show where the guy spends a great majority of it answering his phone Hmm. and talking to people on the phone. So you get the sense of a conversation, even though it's a one-man show, but he's doing the entire conversing, which I think is really interesting. I don't know. I'm always interested in how people grapple with things that you just can't put on stage the right way. Yeah. Because, I mean, no one wants to watch me sitting there texting and, like, laughing and then crying, and then right. being like, oh, I'm so mad for 10 minutes. I mean, who's watching that? And right. and also, what are we trying to do storytelling-wise if I'm writing it? Hmm. So I think letter writing, I mean, we see people do it like, I'll read the letter, and those people over there will act out what I'm saying. Yeah. Or like, I'll start reading the letter, and then the person who receives the letter starts reading the letter. So it's like on opposite sides of the stage we're showing yeah. the there are ways to do it yeah. I don't know how effective any of them are I don't know I, I don't think our adaptation did a great job either it's just there was really if again if you don't put the letter in you lose huge chunk of story mm-hmm. if you do put the letter in you might lose half your audience <laughs> sleep like man this letter is long yeah so did you feel like because of the letter writing, because of the exposition, because of the long walks uh, where people contemplate how they feel about each other, <laughs> did you feel like it was difficult? There's so many voices, and you're having to write for all these people who are not your own creation. Did you feel like it was difficult to like hear the voices and think of what they might say on those walks when originally they weren't talking? Um, a little bit, but I think that, I mean... Like you said, she's very detailed. Mm -hmm. So really, the goal wasn't to do something that had been exactly the same way as someone else had done it, but a bunch of people have done this, and a bunch of people have done pieces of it really, really well already. So I wasn't trying to totally reinvent it, just 
make it a little bit more accessible, especially since we were writing for specifically high schoolers. <laughs> like, you just, you can't have that much words. It was too much. Yeah. We had to bring it down. I mean, I think we, we, didn't, we had a people limit and we had a time limit. Like, we had to have it in a certain time with a certain number of characters. So, um, we're a little bit limited that way. But I think the voices, Austin kind of built most of those. Some of them had very little voice. The the Hursts, the rando sister and yeah. husband didn't really, there wasn't a whole lot there. But generic Austin time period voice <laughs> works. I think all the characters have a lot to say that yep. doesn't necessarily get said in the books. And all of the stuff that we were talking about earlier, there's people who read the books that have stuff to say for the characters. Like, I mean, I'm not trying to add to her work, but like hypothesize in very small ways like okay if this is what they were saying later in the story then they must have been thinking in this direction yeah. I mean she had to come to this conclusion somehow I mean that's one of the like fundamental ways to teach someone to act is like what do you say about yourself and what does everyone else say mm -hmm. about you and yeah. there's lots of talk about other people and certainly lots of Jane Austen speaking about those people kind of as the narrator of the story anyway and like you were saying about like fighting earlier, it's the way that people react to the information mm -hmm. almost more than the information. It's, okay, I've given you this random piece of data, what are you going to do about it? Yes. How do you feel? <laughs> How do you feel about that? It's the transition. Right. I, one thing that I do love about all Jane Austen and all, well, not, maybe not all, but a lot of Jane Austen um, is storytelling through dance. Hmm. which doesn't happen a lot in plays anymore. I feel like it was, like, this thing that we did sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, but very rarely do you see, like, ten minutes of a dance in the middle of a play Yeah, um, that's, like, strictly musical territory. And so... Especially, yeah, without any singing. A bunch of dancing. Yes. No singing. No singing. <laughs> Every once in a while, Shakespeare will throw you, like, a little bit of a jig moment. But outside of that, there's just not a lot of, like, dancing. And I think... Something that I think not a lot of the adaptations did super well, but I think you all had a mind for in your show, was how the dance progressed the story forward. Like, it's not just a dance to... We're gonna go to this party and, like... Therefore, Touch there will hands be dancing. And circle around and do whatever the weird line dancing stuff is that was very popular at the time. Uh -huh. But I think it like tells you just a lot about the characters, like who's willing to dance, who's not, who dances with whom, how do they react when they dance with those people. I mean, a lot of that comes from good acting. Mm -hmm. You can't write all of that in, but I think being mindful of it is important. It's not Pride and Prejudice. But did you see the Emma movie adaptation? No, I'm falling okay. behind. It's the new one. It has its issues. <laughs> yes, I'm sure. But um, I think what it does extremely well is the dance. When Emma and Mr. Knightley, sorry, when they're dancing, you're like, ooh, he can get it. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's a it's a moment but they're not doing anything mm -hmm. like the dancing is 18th century party dancing it's completely not sexual at all I mean they're not even really touching she's wearing a glove right but I think there's just like so much inherent chemistry in eye contact that you can tell a lot by who's looking at each other while they're doing these little weird circles and touching hands and who is like oh my gosh don't look at me at all right <laughs> definitely I, well and in that time period that was like all you got like you go to a dance to flirt Once a and, season. right and flirting involves maybe talking to somebody and if mm -hmm. they talk to you twice psh, wedding wedding <laughs> that's it and that's when you'll dance again and between then nothing exactly <laughs> you can go talk to my dad we can dance again in three months but also Goodbye. what i what i find wild is that like there's just so much social ritual attached to the dancing and who goes first and who dances with whom and like the class and like all of those elements of the story kind of come to this boiling head in the dance I also think it's wild that they don't dance with the same person the whole time. Hmm. So there's something like you want the moment to last longer and then they break away and have to dance with someone else. Just think there's a lot of like great storytelling ability within those. And I don't know, maybe now that I'm talking about it, I think more modern plays should have a dance. They should. Yeah. Problem is, I don't know how to dance. Do you know how to dance? Because <laughs> most Kinda, of sorta. us now don't know how to dance I know, those we, don't, Jane Austen, we don't do dancing like those Jane Austen dances are hard well, no they're not um, touch hands walk in circle right sometimes well, you hold hands dance. and run through like a little archway of other people's arms right that's, that's about it doesn't seem too complicated no it very much appealed to my sense of patterns you just go in your circle yes. and you do your thing and you could do it forever which was great because there was several conversations just keep you just keep walking <laughs> just keep going Please. Don't pay any yeah. mind. Uh -huh. Try not to get lost. As long as the Please, music is going. Throw everybody else off. Yeah, there is something like kind of mindless about it that is soothing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I will say I was looking forward to choreographing those moments. Like blocking those moments of it's so hard when you have a, almost the entire story take place when the all of the chemistry between two people is tension. How do you get them comfortable enough with each other to get to the end where they're like getting married, kissing, the whole right. bit, but stay in that place of tension with one another throughout 98% of the story? Right. I was looking forward to what that could potentially be and blocking a lot of like um, dramatically lit across the room looking at each other moments. <laughs> Yes. That I thought would help heighten the sense of like, I think everyone has that when like, you're not really with someone yet, but you're around them a lot. You're constantly aware of where they are in the room. Hmm. And that was my big thought about the two of them. Like, they're fighting, all of those things are happening. And like, there's all of this gossip going around about the two of them as a couple People can't see that I'm doing air quotes. It's a podcast. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> and about them as individuals. But, like... 
they're still just like in a space where even when they're mad at each other they know the other person is in the room and they're more aware of them than they are of anyone else hmm. so I just had a lot of I don't know grandiose plans about how to make that happen in a very small space I was excited about. I was about to say my favorite part was going to be watching you figure out how to do the dances at all on that stage. Oy vey. <laughs> so we did a hoedown and it was oh boy. <laughs> it's so hard. Not a lot of space to make a line. You'd have to do a sideways line. No, it would have to be a diagonal line. Yeah. And I also think um, maybe we could have like done a lot of like um single passes, you know? Yeah. Of this feeling of maybe like even a rotating stage that I could have created. Wow. I had a lot of plans. Yeah, that's lofty. Man. Yeah. I didn't want to actually make a turntable, but no. I wanted the feeling that right. we were sort of spinning, you know, like a great camera shot of like, um, oh, the one in Titanic where they're dancing the jig. Yeah. I wanted the feeling of we were looking at that camera shot mm. on stage. I was very excited to That'd manufacture cool. that mm-hmm. and have a sort of like dizzy twirling feeling. But um, alas, alack. Yes, it we will just have to watch as well. Titanic instead. <laughs> yes, <laughs> go watch the Titanic. I was directly going to rip that idea. <laughs> Um, great artists stealing from other people. I feel like we're making that clear in our adaptation. Sure. <laughs> oh, God. Well, no. I'm, yeah. Adapting. We're adapting. adapting. Yes. Different than stealing. Who directed Titanic? James Cameron? Yeah. Thanks, man. Yep. Really enjoyed it. hmm I think one great thing about here is that if you looked at, like, the makeup of the board, if you looked at the makeup of the audience, Mm -hmm. um, you would not expect that, like, a lot of young people came through the doors, but I think they have kind of, sort of, fostered an environment that is really welcoming to young theater makers, both in, like, a willingness, I think you said early on, to, like, listen and hear them out. And then also, like, and whether it's a we're small, who cares mentality, or whether it's, like, a we want to keep trying things mentality, like, giving people a chance who maybe don't come to them with, like, a lot of experience. Hmm. Yeah. I agree. I mean, just the fact that they were willing to do the college show at all when that's what it started as is, um surprising i guess yeah based on you wouldn't you would not you're you're right you wouldn't expect that from the group that they seem to tend towards there um yeah no they're just a really gracious group i think it's um they're open to trying stuff if someone else wants to give it a go i mean just in our experience we've seen i mean you had directed twice before they let you direct here once once Yeah, like, once for real. Right. Technically, I did some, like, in-class directing things, but yeah, once. It really was just a situation where I was like, I can do that. I'm 18. Why couldn't I do that? Right. And they were like, okay, sure, you seem reasonable and responsible, and, like, we can hand you a key to the building. (laughs) 
child. Sure. So we're good. Go. I think we've wound up talking a lot about um, literature accidentally. Too much about literature? No, I not. You can never talk too much about literature. I think I we're agree. just going to have to come back. So, pre quarantine, like literally seconds before we went into quarantine, we were in this building rehearsing a show. Um, women playing Hamlet. We were those women. Yes. I, we were not playing Hamlet, though. No, we weren't. No. No. We were playing many other parts. I was mostly playing one other part, and then just like a brief cameo as the ghost of Hamlet's a father. Very important. So actually, you were playing old Hamlet. I was. Hey. Thank you. I'm going to reframe that in my mind now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so our show, like so many others, was interrupted and... Corona canceled. Co Ooh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was. Um, I think we, we had a lot of hope in the beginning. Yes. That we would come back to it. There were only ten of us, so that was helpful. We were in a large group gathering. Right, not an ensemble cast or anything, it was just, it was very very small yeah but um as the months go on <laughs> and many theaters continue to cancel shows for their season it's not looking super positive no pretty much at this point it's just we're 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 sure it's it's over we're just pretending that we're not sure that it's over because it's sad it is here's my sincere question to you though okay there's i have experienced throughout the virus just like a lot of relief in canceled plans is there any mm. part of you that's like don't have to worry about that anymore just the bar scene yeah really? i'm really relieved that I, yeah i could do the other ones it was okay I really don't do well playing drunk. Interesting. I do yeah. feel like I have seen great actors really fumble it. I think it might help if I'd ever been drunk. <laughs> but I think I've only been drunk once. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think that drunk people just lack self-awareness. So yeah. in other points in your life when you have to recall how you behaved, you draw from those experiences and you can relate them to the stage. But... I think that for drunk people, there's no part of them that's like, this is how I'm acting, that's reflective and can, like, reconjure that feeling. So I think it's really difficult to do. I've seen very few people do it well. Yeah, it just feels we'll uncomfortable. We'll never know if you And I'm so, like, I'm generally very self-aware of my mm -hmm. body, so it's like, I, I don't just, I don't just move by accident ever <laughs> it's, yeah I'm, it's impossible for me to even pretend to look like i'm not aware of how i'm moving <laughs> it's very hard i don't know that i would call you a control freak i don't think that i would but i i do think you don't like not being in control i know those that would so um, i appreciate you <laughs> i don't think i would because you let other people take charge of things when you trust them I think a true control freak trusts no one. That's fair. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm really okay with not having that scene. I'm good. Is there any part of it that you are pleased to not have to do? Um, for me, it's kind of like the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> no offense to the show or your mom who was directing it. I hated this woman that I was playing so much. And I think it's really, so I teach, and if any of my students are listening to this, just like skip ahead a little bit, because do what I say, not what I do. Yeah. <laughs> but it is really hard to play someone that you hate, and I'm always saying like, get behind the actions of the people, and I have played people who suck before, certainly. But even when I was playing, like, murderers, drug abusers, people who killed children, I was like, here's a little thing that I can hang on to that I like about this person or that helps me understand them. I don't understand this woman. Yeah, you don't, you don't hate her because there's nothing about her that's concrete. Yeah, she's, she's kind so... of wishy-washy or, like... I see what you're saying about there not being something concrete. It's really hard, I think, because... Or I was having a hard time because... I couldn't figure out why she was doing anything that she was doing. Hmm. There's no reason for the actions. It was just the actions because the writer said the actions and right. the words. Right, right. I think we're going to have to take a pause here okay. and explain that today, not only are we in a parking lot, we're on a street. Because all the best community theaters are located on streets. Yeah, I think my damage was with her was that she was so, like, self-important. But when you kind of, like, broke down what she was doing, it made no sense. Certainly from the standpoint of being a teacher myself, playing one who I thought was not doing a good job was kind of frustrating. Especially when you had students in the show. That didn't help. It did not. Like, ah, yes, our brilliant teacher playing yet another brilliant teacher. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's what they were thinking uh, the totally. whole time. <laughs> yeah, I... It's interesting. I normally don't love Shakespeare adaptation-y things. Like, it's Shakespeare, but we're all not speaking the language, and we're in Antarctica or whatever. Like, I don't understand why. What's the point of that? This was not exactly that. It was certainly like, this is the process that you go through when you're faced with a really difficult Shakespeare character, which Hamlet is, and I think that was represented really well in the script. For everyone else's character who wasn't playing Hamlet... They were all side characters. It yeah. was It was very much a, kind of a one-man show mm -hmm. with a lot of... Uh, very one-dimensional people around them. Yeah. 
and my character was a side character that he like kept bringing back so if I had had one really weird scene where I was being a really weird acting teacher I think that that's something that I can cling on to because I've had we've all had that director or like acting teacher who's just like a little bit too far gone from reality weird expectations and confusing language and lots of metaphors yes <laughs> what do you want from me i just i have a script help so i don't know part of me was like excited to try but i definitely at the time of pandemic had not hit my breakthrough moment yet of like oh i get it now felt like you guys were having like very small breakthrough moments every week but it wasn't yeah. quite where you all wanted it yeah for sure um so like certainly there's a little bit of like so there's still a little bit of like full relief of like don't have to memorize the rest of these lines don't have to like flop this character that I don't understand <laughs> potentially not saying I right, would have done it sure but maybe it's possible it is possible um I mostly just wanted to watch the rest of it like I was gonna do the parts but then also I mostly just wanted to see what everybody else was doing I do have there was a, like some really good segments <laughs> there were really great moments I do have a lot of regret that I, this would have been the first time that I would have entered from the audience. I really wish I could have done that. Yeah. I was very excited about, like, scaring the elderly people and, like, screaming at the girl playing, the girl playing Hamlet. All of that I was very excited for. And the scarves. I'm supposed to have a cane. You were supposed to have a cane. Yeah. And some sort of monocle or something or did that get cut I wasn't sure anymore <laughs> mostly I just wanted the cane cane would have been nice I know you should have learned like or maybe you know and I don't know can you just do like any bit of typing typing <laughs> any, any tap ah any tap no I cannot tap uh. but I was probably probably gonna hit Jordan with it just, you know mm. hit but uh Slapstick is funny. Slapstick is funny. I feel like people say that, like, bodily humor is, like, the lowest form because, like, even children understand it. I disagree. I don't disagree. I don't think that makes it bad. I think it's the, I think it's the base level because yeah. everyone can find it funny. I think that people are like, that's too low for my intellectual style. Then you're just kind of being a jerk. I guess I feel like it's so hard to do well hmm. that, like, to sit around and when it's being done really well, be kind of a jerk who's like, that's lowbrow comedy is annoying to me. I see what you're saying. Yes. Because, like, it's so physical. It takes, like, timing and stamina and, like, endurance to really do physical comedy well that like I don't know I like it <laughs>
Everyone loves a good pratfall. Oh, yes. And that's just what it is. Or, like, fighting where where it's also comedy. Like, yes. that's really impressive to me. I mean, I think that there's, like, a reason Charlie Chaplin was Charlie Chaplin. Because he could, like, do the fighting, make the faces, fall down, and, like, tell a story while he was doing it. I had a movement teacher in college who was, like transitions tell stories and so we would when we would be like rehearsing a fight sequence or like rehearsing any type of like heavily choreographed blocking we would like talk about how what you did between the action or like between the punch and you know the counter punch that's where the story is so me just hitting you doesn't tell us much but your reaction and how you gather yourself to hit me back or do something else to me that's where the story is told hmm. so I think it's just harder than people think it is I don't know Yeah. all of that to say I think your one little hit of Jordan with a stick would have been very comedically intelligent hey thanks <laughs> you're so welcome <laughs> for my very intellectual character yeah, you were like a professor or something, right? Yeah, something like that. Oh, uh, Lord, Lord, right. Oh, that right. was important. I forgot. Good grief. Do I remember any of those lines? Probably not. I mean, I feel like you have to remember the iconic one. Yeah, I know. There's do a you, couple. Do you have to say it? <laughs> well, as everyone knows, Hamlet is orgasmic. The accent's really good, too. I worked really hard on it. It's nice. Thanks. It's like understated, just like a little bit. I was trying. <laughs> I watched all, <laughs> this is where I mostly was pulling from, I watched all of the Carol Burnett Queen sequences. That was what I was pulling from. <laughs> from the King specifically, like trying to get a more masculine yeah. version of that, but like a very like, That's very beautiful. like high British, yes. Yeah. But without like going quite as overboard as she did. <laughs> Mostly that was just because I enjoy watching those, but then I was like, oh, that's a good accent, too. <laughs> For sure. Only Carol Burnett can go as hard as Carol Burnett, and that's just what it is. Like, true. If anyone else tries, it reads as, like, fake or... She's a genius. ...trying too hard. I don't know how she did it. When we started Uncertainty about three years ago... What I was hoping to accomplish was a more age-inclusive group. I have had a hard time with the whole concept that you have adult shows and you have kid shows. That has always bothered me a little bit. That there's like, oh, there's a few shows where it's got like one kid in it <laughs> or whatever. And, um, and then you've got your, your kid shows that are for kids and that are silly, and you've got your adult shows that are for adults and that are not silly. Um, and I think it partly makes kids out to be a little dumb, which they're not. And kids it, are really smart. It makes it out to be like a lesser form of theater. Exactly. Instead of saying that there can be incredible actors at all ages mm -hmm. who maybe have different levels of experience, and that's okay, but that they can grow from each other, and that the yeah. old can learn from the young, and the young can learn from the old, and that that's positive. <laughs> and shows worthy of watching at all ages, like, you know, that an adult can go see a kid show 
because they want to see the show and not because they're taking their, like, child to see the show. Right. Absolutely. Um, that's part of what I wanted to see and just, we wanted to see just more diversity in general and to get to be a part of allowing as many different kinds of people as we could find, which in Louisville is sometimes hard to yes. get people. It can be very hard to get a variety of people to come out when everybody's busy and there's so many different little theaters doing so many different things and yeah. you have to pick. It's hard to decide. Um, we just wanted to give more people more space. And I think also present shows in non-traditional formats, which I don't know that was necessarily like something we set out to do. I don't think it was, but it was interesting. <laughs> it was super interesting and it kind of became a hallmark of the shows we did like mm -hmm. we very early on mostly from a lack of money kind of just decided that we were going to do these bizarre things and I also think that it led us to you know throwing traditional like ideas of what it had what it meant to cast a show or what it meant to like produce a show a little bit out of the window because what we, a backstage was <laughs> what <laughs> it's this closet and you'll be fine um it has a vent um yeah I think, I think it certainly pushed us to like stretch our limits of like traditionally what we thought of as like a good show or like um a show worth seeing and mm -hmm. a show like a way that you produced a show um i think i felt a lot of times it was like for for several reasons but specifically for that reason like is this allowed are we allowed to do this right. <laughs> can, can we do theater like this i don't know let's find out but when we're the only ones deciding like but if we're the only ones deciding there is a sense of like I'm going to endorse what you want to do. You're going to endorse what I want to do. And if either one of us goes too far, there's, like, some trust there that will get pulled back in right. <laughs> one way or the other. But, like, I certainly don't think we set out to cast an all-female Twelfth Night. No. But. <laughs> Wasn't the goal. It, no. And I think, I think so many times there is, like, a, a plan and I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, because as a director, like, I have certainly mapped out ideas before my show. But I think one thing that doing Uncertainty the way that we did taught us was people first, plan second. Hmm. And I think that, like, that is something that you and I had felt for a long time in our jobs, yeah. was that the plan and, like, the production was always trumped the people. Hmm. I don't know that we ever would have put it in those words until we were on the other side of the table being the deciders yeah. and being like, well, this plan doesn't mean anything if we force people into holes that they don't really fill. Yeah. These are the people we want to work with. How do we do that? Yeah. <laughs> and I also think, like... I don't know. You you have to plan to 
be diverse. You can't just expect that that will happen. Hmm. But I think that where people get tripped up is doing it for the sake of the production and not for the sake of the story and the people. Yeah. I agree. Difference between production and story. You don't want to wind up not telling the story because the people are wrong or whatever, but that your the way that you tell the story should be influenced by the people who are in it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and I think that that's such a simple concept, but it gets lost for the pursuit of beautiful, high-quality, loads of money thrown at it production and, like, return on your investment. I do sometimes see shows and I just wonder, am, am I here to see the pretty set? Yeah. Yeah. And if you take that just, like, a little bit of a step further, you know, in in these productions where the people come second, they sort of become accessories to that set. Mm. It's a beautiful set. Look at all this beautiful lighting. Look at all mm -hmm. the beautiful transitions that we can do. And look at all the beautiful people who are, like, dancing yeah, across like our a, beautiful it's like set. like a model. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um... So I think somewhat on purpose, because we had spent a lot, a lot of time facilitating other people's ideas of what shows were, and somewhat on accident, because we had very little plan and even less money, Yes. Um, <laughs> we kind of stumbled onto this, like, aesthetic, uh, for lack of a better word, that was kind of like we want to have great relationships with our performers first and we want to hear from them about what we're doing and also we're not tied to doing it the way that like it should be done hmm. because we don't have the money for that yeah <laughs> in a lot of ways and then in a lot of ways because that's no fun and we, we didn't, honestly, we didn't have the people a lot of times to, quote, do it the way yeah. that it should be done. We got to do it the way that the people that we had were able to do it well. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that kind of non-traditional attitude, we're starting to see it more in theater, but theater is slow to change. I think out of all, like, types of media it's hard to change live theater it sort of is what it is and then it's also hard live theater so expensive mm -hmm. to see to produce to be a part of that like you know it's hard to create a lot of variance there because how do you even go about that when you know people who are doing it are very entrenched in making it and very entrenched with the money that it takes to make it. Um, so I think like we were always open to what did it look like to not do theater the right way. I think because we haven't made something together in a long time and because like no one can make anything 
the right way right now. Um, we have always been talking about like how to bring uncertainty back and certainly like what do we even want to be doing Mm -hmm. and I think like a lot of our ideas early on this was kind of silly but based very much in storytelling which you and I both have like an affinity for from early on in life Mm -hmm. and then like what's a way that we can talk about theater and talk about stories and tell stories that isn't on stage in front of people the right, right way. that doesn't involve a lot of people right now yeah. um, it's I think all of us in theater are feeling the the void like mm. usually in theater there's no void you can't go a weekend without there being a show right now we're all feeling this massive like void in our lives usually it feels like there's no empty space to fill that there's there's mm-hmm. no empty space at all and right now there's all this empty space so it's kind of almost like a safe spot to jump back in because there's not a whole lot of voices right now yeah and and I don't know I'm giving so many places like the benefit of the doubt and just like grace right now of like they'll figure it out hopefully yeah. I really hope they figure it out So I think, too, like, there's no better time to try something weird. Yes. And, you know, how do we stay six feet apart? Well, we do this outside, um, next to a busy street. Yes. Birds and cars. (laughs) (laughs) And strangers staring at us. Which is weird. Yeah, but I feel like strangers staring at me is, you know, a very baseline definition of theater. I was about to say, so we just did performance art. We did. So (laughs) I've always wanted to do performance art. (laughs) How do you feel? I mean, I feel like performance art is supposed to really evoke some sort of emotion. I feel chiller than I expected to about it. Which Interesting. Is, which is nice. Yeah, no. It's like, well, no, I mean, because we had, we had a truck that passed by twice and we were a little concerned. Yes. I, I was I was going to go at him. She was ready. She was like, <laughs> she was like, if he comes by a third time, she's going to back her little Volkswagen Beetle right into his tailgate. Oh my gosh. Okay. We're going to have to come back here because yes. I feel like we, we barely, I mean, we only we really barely, We didn't on. really go in, like, at all. We just stayed outside the theater, which is what we're supposed to do. <laughs> That's what we're supposed to do right now. Uh, we really only talked about 2020 at this place, and you and I have, I have a history here that goes back to 2011, and yours probably goes back even further than that. The first one you saw was the first one I saw, so. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we have a shared history here that goes back yes. to 2011. And we did not touch on it at all. No. And I also think, you know, I think every theater person that I know has a place like this one that kind of serves as, like, home base and where there's just a lot of history and you kind of keep coming back to tell stories here and you feel really comfortable. And I think that 
I think that that is what this place has served for us. And I also think that those places could benefit from from a inject of like youth and energy and um, people just loving it outside of the theater world mm. or outside of the theater maker world yeah I, I think you were right earlier it's slow to change it's, it's very slow to change and we like it anyway yes but uh, and I think that they could they're kind of stalwarts of their communities and communities are slow to change but when they start to start their something. institutions kind of got to get on board too <laughs> closing in closing <laughs> i'm writing my senior thesis <laughs> and i would just like to say um i would like to say if you were in any of the cars that passed us while we were recording this, oh my you gosh. should tell us. Please write to us. You can email us at uncertaintheater at gmail.com. That's U-N-C-E-R-A-I-T-N-T-H-E-A-T-R-E at gmail.com. Or you can call us at 502-627-0296. You can leave us a text message or a voicemail. Tell us if you saw two young women by... Um, some parking lot construction uh, in Louisville. Yeah. Adjacent. (laughs) (laughs) And thought to yourself, why are they sitting there? Or if you have critiques about Pride and Prejudice, because we really want those. Yeah. Um, All you Jane Austen stands out there, you can totally roast me for my uh, (laughs) mediocre knowledge and loud mouth opinions. (laughs) Thanks for hanging out with us in Uh, the parking lot. Yeah, we're going to go home now. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Maybe I just pull all the car sounds and put them at the end. Parade of cars. (laughs) That's hysterical. Every theater person I know has a, has a... There's another one. A place. Oh, there's another one. Should I go really fast? No. Because I want to know what this car is. Okay. It looks like an ice cream truck, but it's not. Well, that's disappointing. I know. I don't have any cash, though.